Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. Well, I love it when the message gets preached during worship. Because that's what happened today. Because um, we're going to talk about worship. It's, we're, we're launching into a new series. Uh, and it's called House of Worship. And the title is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You know, a lot of people think of churches or synagogues or whatever it might be. They, they call them houses of worship. But throughout this series, our, our hope, our goal is actually um, breaking that paradigm a little bit and, and uh, talking about the fact that each of us, our lives are to be a house of worship. Our homes are to be a, a house of worship. Our workplaces are to be a house of worship. And this place right here is a house of worship. And uh, in this message, uh, it's not really going to be my typical message. If you guys have gotten used to me, I'm a logical guy. I have, you know, points and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sorry. Today is not going to be that way. Uh, <laughs> but it's going to be one part, I think, just a declaration of where I feel like the Lord is bringing this body into. And then one part, a teaching um, about worship. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for experiencing your presence in worship. I thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to stand before you and to give you all of who we are. (laughs) To lay it all down as we were singing about. And so, Father, we do that today. We do that even through this message. And, Father, I pray that each person in this room, that there's something that, that... something new stirred in their hearts, that you, Holy Spirit, would start working and opening minds and hearts and spirits uh, to, to who you are and how you've called us to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as you just experienced, worship is a big part of who we are at Burning Hearts Church. It's, it's one of the main things that we do. Uh, And we've centered what we do on Sundays around his presence and worship. And so it was kind of funny. You'll get a little behind the scenes look today. Uh, Pastor Jaina was in last week and we had a sermon series planned for a couple months ahead of this this time. And then we were all talking and we're like, do you think that's the right thing to do, the right sermon series? And we're like, well, it'd be good, but I don't know. And so in a short amount of time, we, we totally did a 180 and decided we needed to talk about worship. And I believe it's because it's, uh, the, the Lord is bringing us into this season, and maybe not even a season, but as a whole body and our existence as a church, I think there's a shift that's happening. And we want to we declare it through this series. In my prayer time this last week, I felt like the Lord is really speaking to us to, to double down on worship. We place such a high value on it, but he wants us to, to double down. There's uh, been prophetic words over our church about being a, uh, a house of prayer, a house of worship with hundreds and hundreds of testimonies, a joyful house of prayer. And, and there's been other words about, you know, just worship going to uh, different regions other than just for our body. And I, I feel like God is wanting us 
us to make a declaration about who we are to be for this city, for this region, and even for this nation. And it sounds a little bit, you know, like, ugh, can you really do that? And I think we can. It's like we are staking the ground right now and declaring who we are as a body of worshipers. I've been to some places in the past where their whole... Um, their whole focus is worship and prayer. I don't know if it, any of you have been to the International House of Prayer in, in Kansas City. There's Upper Room in Dallas. There's all these different places where they've, they've set up long periods of worship and prayer. And when you walk into those places, it's amazing. It's like time stands still. <laughs> and there's just the, the, the veil, so to speak, between heaven and earth is thin. And you, you just like, you, you walk in and hours and hours can pass by without you even noticing because the presence of God is so thick in those places. And it's my desire for this to be one of those places. It's our, our leadership's desire, it's Pastor Jana's desire for this to be one of those places. And I don't know what it's gonna look like for us. I don't know how we're gonna get there, but I just feel like I wanna make a declaration that this is a house of worship. This is a house of worship. And so how do we build a house of worship? We build worshipers. And that's really what I wanna to talk, to, talk about today. You know, we were made to worship. Sounds really simple, it's not a profound thought, but uh, there's this quote from John Wimber, who I don't know if you're familiar with him. He started the Vineyard uh, Movement of Churches, which has a very strong, like worship is central to that movement. And he says, our heart's desire should be to worship God. We have been designed by God for this purpose. If we don't worship God, we'll worship something or someone else. And we can see throughout the word uh, that sometimes people fall into the, the something else or the someone else. Uh, the Israelites, who, when Moses went up the mountain, I think it's Exodus 34 or 32, he went up the mountain and he was up there for 40 days and the Israelites are like, well, we don't, we don't know about this guy anymore. And so they went to Aaron and said, okay, make us a God. And they gave him, you know, they gathered up the, all the gold among the Israelites and made a golden calf and they worshiped it because they needed to worship something. Or uh, in Acts, when Paul went into Athens in Acts 17, and he was seeing all these, these idols and these false gods all around. And there was this inscription, if you remember, it says, to an unknown God. And Paul actually used that to launch into sharing the gospel. And he, he said, you worship a God that you don't know, but I worship a God that I do know, that is real. And worship is, is central to who we are. In Acts 17, verses 24 through 28, this is just kind of talking about like who we are in God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations so that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed, appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so we worship God. We have this thing created inside us to worship because we are God's offspring. Because in him we have everything. We live and move and have our being. And we can't, we can't help but worship because of that. And, and when, when we find the truth, we cannot help by, but worship him because we're designed for it. And, and like I said, sometimes it can get corrupted and we can end up worshiping things or other people. And I just want to go here for a second. It's like sometimes we end up worshiping political figures, ideologies, material things, famous people, even famous people within the church, evangelists, whatever, or we might end up worshiping ourselves. And even, and I think this is just a a warning for for us and for young worship leaders, even worship music, music within mainstream Christianity has sometimes become about money or about fame or about both. And we have these people growing up in the body of Christ, who are desiring to, to, to be worshipers, but they're more interested in getting a platform than about touching the heart of God. And we need to, to reset that in, in this body, but all across the church. And he wants to restore purity in worship. It's not about a show, it's not about a performance, but it's about praising and thanking and adoring the one we love, like we did this morning. Sometimes I think that Jesus' response to our modern worship movement might be the same as the, the ones that were the money changers and the ones that were selling doves in the temple. Let that sink in for a minute. I think he wants to change. I think he wants to change the expression of worship for a generation, and I think he wants to do it in our church. And how is he going to do that? By building true worshipers. God is seeking worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. And we'll go to that passage in a little bit. But before that, I just want to talk about worship and what it is. In Hebrew, there's a couple of main words that uh, are translated worship in English. The first one is shakah, and that's to bow down or prostrate oneself. And another one, which I, I shared a couple months ago in our, in our um, series on the kingdom of God, when we were talking about one of our responsibilities within the kingdom of God is to work. Abad is uh, a Hebrew word that can be translated work, but it's also translated worship. In Greek, there's a few words, proskuneo, and this is interesting, to kiss the hand of one in reverence or to prostrate oneself. And it's derived from the word meaning when a dog licks its master's hand. Can you imagine <laughs> what our expression of worship might be like if we actually got that? It kind of breaks your box a little bit. But worship is like a dog licking its master's hand. And it should be so much about him. So much about him. So much like uh, the woman with the alabaster jar who broke open that, that box uh, with this expensive perfume. It's all about 
being prostrate at his feet and worshiping him. I want to read a quote. This is from Carl Tuttle, who is a worship leader within uh, the Vineyard Movement. And bear with me, it's kind of long, but it encompasses so much of what worship is. Worship is a desire to know God, to stand in his presence, to meet with God, an expectation of God to dwell among his people. Worship is coming before God with expectancy to see his manifest presence. Worship is to revere and pay homage to God and the act of profound adoration, to give God the glory due his name, to bow down before him, to fall at his feet. And here's the part we just read about, to be a, a puppy at his master's feet, to turn towards and kiss, lifting up our hands in absolute surrender, drawing near to God, blessing and ministering to him, to be in fearful awe, giving ourselves over to him in loving affection and to do so in spirit and in honesty. It's a long one, but I think it, it encompasses so much of what worship is and what we're talking about today. Worship is the central expression of our life with God. I might be as bold to say it's this, the most important thing that you can do on this earth and in heaven is worship. It's the great privilege that we've been given to worship a God who is the creator of all the universe, who set the, the, the sky in, into being, set the, set the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon and, and created the mountains and all those things. And we have the honor and the privilege of worshiping him. I think his focus, God, one of God's main focuses, is worship. And you can see this even, you know, when he gave the commandments to Moses. The first one was to, you know, have no other gods before him, to worship him. And Jesus, even in the New Testament, affirmed that is still the first commandment, is to have no gods before him. He doesn't need our worship, but he absolutely desires it. He absolutely desires it. The Bible actually says that he is jealous for us. He is jealous for our attention. He is jealous for affection. He is jealous for our worship. And what about, you know, the other things that we do as Christians, these, these uh, spiritual disciplines that some people call them, you know, reading the Bible, it's so important, but it as, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, it should lead you into a hunger for his presence and, and it should lead you into worship. And if you read the Bible and all you do is engage it with your mind, you end up being led by your mind instead of by the spirit. Instead, we're to study him and his word to take us into a greater level of worship. I read this thought, it's from... Uh, a worship leader named Jeremy Riddle. Worshippers, which all of us are, are meant to be the greatest theologians. And if you're a worship leader, young or old, devote yourself to knowing more about him in the word. And then that will come out in your worship. That will come out in these moments where, where, where the spirit moves and, and, and prayers and declara declarations come out. They come out of the word. So we're meant to be the greatest theologians. We'll probably talk about it in, in a couple weeks, but that worship is transformative. And if you think about um, the, the Methodist movement and John Wesley, Charles Wesley, 
They were prolific songwriters, but their songs were what actually defined their, their theology for that whole movement. And worship has the power to do that for us today. And prayer and worship go hand in hand. They're both communication with God, but often, you know, we can, we can go, we can move into a place of prayer and we can get in petition asking God for things. Um, and it can get us stuck in a mode of getting from God instead of giving to him. It should be a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with God with every expectation of getting a response. Worship should be adoration of God with no expectation of a response. But in his goodness, he often responds. And he responds with his presence and with so many other things. Let's go to our main scripture, uh, John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. And this is uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, it just kind of set the stage. You know, Jesus wasn't actually supposed to be talking to this woman because she was a Samaritan. And he, he kind of tells her um, her life in this passage. He, he is able to see things by the Holy Spirit, you know, what she's been into. She's had five husbands before this, the man she was with, all these different things. And, and Jesus starts talking to her, uh, or she starts talking to him about worship. And in verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus was talking to this woman, the Samaritan woman, about the type of worship that the Father desires. And just a little background, the Samaritans thought that God could only be worshipped on a certain mount. It was Mount Gerizim. And they, in contrast to the Israelites, the Jews, um, didn't believe that the temple where, where God's dwelling was at that time was supposed to be in Jerusalem. They thought it was supposed to be somewhere else. And in that moment when Jesus met him or met her, he was breaking her box around worship. She thought that it had to be in a specific place. And, and Jesus talked about worshiping in truth. He addressed her background as a Samaritan, like saying, okay, you, you worship what you don't know, but we Jews worship what we do know. That's worshiping in truth. And that's what he was speaking to her um, about worshiping in truth. And he was, he was really just like taking, taking the lid off and, and, and showing this woman like, hey, you don't have to worship in a, in a certain place and you need to know the one that you're worshiping. So what can we learn like this woman learned from Jesus? Again, that we can learn that worship is not confined to a specific place or a specific action, I would add. Often we're guilty of the same mindset as, as the Samaritan woman, thinking that we can only worship when we're here on Sundays or when you can pick up an instrument or only when you sing. 
but we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more through our series, but worship encompasses our whole life before Christ. We are to have a lifestyle of worship. Worshiping in spirit also means that worship is meant to be a spirit-to-spirit connection. And I think Jesus was giving us a key here. We can worship with our body, our actions, our dancing, our whatever it is, our voice. We can worship with our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. But Jesus said the Father is seeking those that worship in spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who enables us to worship in spirit. He's our communication line with God. And I want to make a connection here to a familiar passage in Romans. So uh, go to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, and if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So what does this have to do with worship? Hopefully I'll make a connection here. So verse 9 says, literally, literally says that we are in the realm of the Spirit if the Spirit of God is in us. And this is a weird New Age stuff. The Spirit is what the part of us that engages with God. And I don't know if, if you've had this, but I've had these moments where we can't even express our our worship within our own body and it's just like it comes out in groaning and, and it's, it's like the spirit within you is so connected to God it bypasses everything and that's what worshiping in spirit can be like in Ephesians 3.16 Paul prays for them to be strengthened with power by his spirit in their inner being and I believe that worship you know it talks about in, in the word that, uh, that praying in tongues but also, I think that worship is one, in, one of the keys to strengthening your inner, inner man. When your inner man is strengthened, you lose the fear of man. And sometimes when we worship, I think we get so worried about what other people around us might think, or we might be trying to fit in to what everyone else around us is doing. And when we when our inner man is strengthened, we lose that fear of man. And if, if you're falling into those things, and we all do, that's a sign that you're operating out of the fear of man, and the object of your affection is not God, but it's yourself. And it happens to me too. I'm speaking to myself. If you find yourself in that place, ask the Lord for forgiveness, close your eyes, and just press in for more. Just press in for more. 
<laughs> he's, he's so gracious. He has so much grace for those moments. I know probably everybody in this room has experienced that where you're, you're in a moment in corporate worship and you, your mind goes to, oh, what's somebody gonna think or, or any of that? And, and God wants so much to break us out of that. He wants our affection for him to be so much stronger than, than any thought of what other people think. And in that, we lose the fear of man, not only in this, this context of corporate worship, but when we go out these doors. All right. The point is not to have more people do this stuff, raise their hands, whatever. Um, but we want to have just a pleasing sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And we want that to be out of authentic surrender and devotion to God. So in talking about the Spirit in Romans 8, I believe it's actually revealing some benefits of worship in our, in our life. And the neat thing, like I mentioned earlier, is that like, the, the whole point of worship is giving adoration to God, but He in His goodness gives back to us. And so in context, in this, this passage in Romans 8, Paul is talking about the Spirit and how it gives you the ability to overcome the flesh, to overcome the sinful desires of this world. world. And then it kind of pivots and it talks about um, how the Spirit testifies that we are sons and daughters of God. And so how does this connect to worship? In Romans 12, 2, things, even the deep things of God. We're supposed to think like God and to have the mind of Christ. Worship is the key to that. Because worship, again, is where you make this spirit-to-spirit connection with God. I want to talk about worshiping in truth for a minute. Worshiping in truth means that we are worshiping and acknowledging the true nature of God. This is what Jesus was addressing with the woman. The Samaritans worshipped what they did not know. But worshipping the truth means that we're worshipping the one that we do know. We are worshipping, when we worship in truth, we're, we're worshipping out of a relationship of a God that we know and that we love. And we come into alignment with his very nature so worshiping in truth means that we're worshiping in alignment with his nature. It means that we go from doubt to faith. It means that we go from lack to abundance. It means that we go from judgment to grace. And we go from death to life, all in awe of his goodness. So when we are worshiping in truth, we actually become aligned with who God is. That is worshiping in truth. And it also means that we our lives are ones of holiness. That was the other part of what Jesus was addressing with the woman at the well. So as a Samaritan, she had the first five books of the Bible. She knew the law. She knew what she was supposed to do, yet she was in sin. And Jesus was addressing that and saying that you know, she would have living water and all these things. Um, but she was, she was living in sin. A lifestyle of worship means a lifestyle of holiness. So that is 
worshiping in truth. Worshiping in truth is worshiping in alignment with who God is and worshiping in alignment with who he says our, our life is supposed to be like. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm gonna have Pastor Chris come up. Just some, some final thoughts about worship. Worship is about ministering to God. It is first and, and foremost about love and adoration for him. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a, constant, it's a state of constant affection and constant obedience to him. Constant affection and constant obedience. We learn this from uh, Saul's, King Saul's story in 1 Samuel 15, 22. You know, he had, he had messed up and given offerings at the wrong time. And Samuel was speaking to him and says, does the Lord delight in birth, burnt offerings and sacrifices as, a, as, as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is, to better, is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Burnt offerings and sacrifices were the systems of worship in that day in Israel. Our system of worship now is, is singing songs together on, on Sundays. But God's heart is still the same. He delights in obedience and he delights in those who adore him. Worship is living as a laid down lover of God. Amen. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.